How many people have you had sex with at one time at a sex bar <laughs> or, or anywhere? I've had a couple threesomes. Um, I had two threesomes in one night one time. Wow. <laughs> Are you on a psychedelic while you're doing it? Not typically. I once microdosed mushrooms before a sex party. Welcome to the Fall Estate. I am Jesse Lee Peterson. We are now on the set. Amazing! We have been off for a while due to the Chinese virus. And by the way, the Fall Estate is on uh, Patreon. Click on the Patreon link in the description to support our work. I have with me today a very interesting lady, Susanna Weiss. She is a freelance writer for the New York Times, the Washington Post, Vice, Glamour, Playboy, Teen Vogue, and many others. She's also a sex and relationship coach. Susanna, you have written for everybody and their mama. Thank you. <laughs> uh, thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Thank you. So are you surprised that so many uh, uh, media outlets have been publishing your writing? Am I surprised? Yeah. Uh, well, it was hard work, so I feel like, you know, it wasn't just luck that I worked very hard. So I'm lucky, but also it was a result of my hard work. So you were just walking down the road one day and you decided, I'm going to be a writer. I don't know. I guess it was sort of a calling. Since I was little, I would write poems. And I didn't know if it could actually be a career. I was actually working in um, tech marketing at the time I became a writer. And I was writing on the side. And then I was laid off. And that sort of became an opportunity to take writing full time. And it uh, ended up working out. That's amazing. Uh, very interesting life you have going on. Thanks. <laughs> How would you rate your life on a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being best? <laughs> um, I feel like I'll get to a 10 one day. Right now it's like a 6. A 6? You have a 6? I thought you were saying 10. Well, you know, I'm still working toward a lot of my goals. Amazing. You want room for improvement. Yes, that's right. Always room. So I have a lot I want to talk to you about, so we're going to move a little fast today. You identify as a non-binary. Am I right? Yeah, you know, that's not something I um, talk about a lot, but I identify both as non-binary and as female. To me, non-binary just means that I don't um, subscribe to the gender binary. I think gender is a social construct, and I don't like being confined by stereotypes. So you don't like being confined as a female? So I also do identify as female, but I... Personally, I just like to challenge a lot of the assumptions that come with that. Yeah, I read, in teen, that, uh, read that you wrote an article for Teen Vogue, and you said you uh, identify as a woman, but you also identify as a non-binary. So for me, I'm black and slow. What is a non-binary exactly? Somebody who does not identify exclusively as a man or a woman. So someone might identify as not a man or a woman. Um, they might identify as both non-binary and a man or a woman. It just means that they don't subscribe to the gender binary. Oh, I see. So do you sometimes identify as a male? No. You always identify as a female, but sometimes as nothing. Right. What does nothing feel like? <laughs> <laughs> just feels like I'm just like a soul and a light being and not <laughs> like my soul isn't gendered. So if you're out at a bar one night and this handsome guy comes through and he sees this beautiful woman and he goes, well, I'm going over and talk to that lady. And are you going to say, well, I'm not a lady tonight. I'm a non-binary. <laughs> um, no, I really would not. I mean, some people might feel that way. I really would not personally care as long as I didn't feel like he was stereotyping me based on what I look like. Amazing. Um, how does that personally help you to identify as a non-binary? What does it do for you? It allows me to feel free to be myself regardless of what gender roles might dictate. 
So will you go home to visit your parents sometimes? And they said, here come my daughter. <laughs> and you said, no, 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 today I'm a non-binary. <laughs> my parents don't know anything about that. <laughs> they don't know about it? No. So you would never tell them about it? I don't think they'd get it. <laughs> what is a woman? <laughs> I don't know if anyone really knows that. You know, people used to say it meant two X chromosomes, but then there's trans people and then there's intersex people. I think ultimately it's someone who identifies as a woman. And it's your choice how you identify. So, for example, there are a lot of men, males, who identify as a woman. Are they really women or do they just think that they are? But in reality, they are not. I think that it's really a personal identity and that if you feel you are a woman, you are, because I don't think anyone has even agreed on a biological definition. Like even, even some people with two X chromosomes have like genital configurations or hormones that might suggest male to some people. And gender is really a social construct. And so since it is made up by society, we should have the chance to make it up for ourselves, whatever it means to us. So one other thing about that, because I want to move on. At what point in life did you decide, you know what, I'm going to be a non-binary. I'm just not going to be what the world say I am. At what point in life did you decide that? In college, when I learned what it was. Before that, I didn't really know what it was. Oh, they taught you that in college? I don't know if it was taught in class or just by my peers. I think it may have just been from people I knew. And so when you first heard it in college, did you go, what the? <laughs> <laughs> did no. you accept it right away or was it hard to accept that idea of a non-binary? Or did you just say, yeah, that makes sense? Yeah, I thought it made sense. Right away? Mm-hmm. Were you high? <laughs> <laughs> You know, I wasn't really into that stuff, so <laughs> wasn't high. That's amazing. And so what is a male besides just body parts? What is a male? Same thing as female, someone who identifies as male. Um, yeah, I would say a male is somebody who says that they are. Do you, um, what's your impression of men today? I think men, they have a lot to deal with from society, like women. There's a lot of confusing social roles and stereotypes, and I can't really make a generalization. I think I have sympathy with men for, like, all the things that they deal with. Yeah. Do you, you you're not married or anything, right? Mm -mm. You date? Mm-hmm. And you date men? Yeah. Do you date women, too? No. Whew. Why? I thought you were going to say yes. I'm glad to hear that. Thanks. Uh, the, uh, I wanted to ask you about this. The author of Harry Potter, Harry Potter, the woman by the name of J.K. Rowland, uh, she came under fire recently for saying trans women are not women. Mm -hmm. Do you agree with her? No, I don't agree with her. And why not? Because, like I said, um, people get to identify with whatever they choose. And I think trans women have so many um, disadvantages and discrimination and violence against them that it's really important to include them in feminism. And I think what she says risks sort of excluding them in, you know, the fight that includes cis women. And I think it should include all women. Does she deserve to be canceled because she said that? That's her opinion. What do you mean by canceled? They try to get rid of her books. They don't recognize. You know, she was very popular. Mm -hmm. But when she said that, they wanted to turn off her books. They don't want to interview her. She's like not accepted anymore for the most part. Hmm. Should she be treated that way? That's tough because... I think it depends. I think people should challenge her and talk to her about what she said. And I don't necessarily think people should stop reading her books. I think that's sort of a separate 
entity and people can get things out of that and yeah. other work she does. But I think... Does she have a right to have her own opinion and express those opinions without punishment? Well, no. no. I. It depends what you mean by punishment. Like, she should not be arrested, obviously. But right. without, like, criticism, I would say no. Well, they can criticize her, but not cancel her out, not cancel her, prevent her from being, to do, from doing interviews and to being on the Internet and things like that. Should she be punished in that way or those ways? I think that's really up to the individual. Like, if somebody feels offended by that and does not want to interview her because of that and wants to more promote people who are saying more positive things about trans women. I think that's a valid decision. If somebody does want to interview her about something, I think that's also a valid decision. Do you, um, does she have a right to the freedom of speech? Of course. And do you agree with the cancel culture today? They, want, they only want one point of view. No one is allowed to disagree. Do you agree with that? I think that it can get too harsh sometimes, and I think it's more productive to see each other with compassion and try to understand where each other's coming from. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I do think people should be educated about why certain views are problematic, but I do think that could be done in a way that is less automatically just... Um, attacking. Yeah. So Suzanne, how do you describe yourself? If I saw you at a bar and I went over to him like, oh, let me go talk to that lady. And I would ask, what type of person are you? How, how would you describe yourself? What would you say? <laughs> um, that's like a broad question. I would say... I'm a creative, spiritual, um, I, I don't know where you're going with this. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Would you say that to me at the bar? I don't know where you're going with this. <laughs> <laughs> I would be like, could you specify the question? <laughs> I was, uh, and so you, you would say that, I would say, well, what type of person are you? Am I on the right track with creative and spiritual? Oh, yeah. I mean, how do you see you? I see me as somebody who, like, searches for the deep meanings in life and is very curious about a lot of things and um, wants to just help everyone love everyone and help animals. <laughs> <laughs> so you like animals, too? Yeah. Amazing. Um, do you, do you, have you ever been married or have kids or anything? Mm -mm. Do you want that? I'm undecided about that. I think I do want to be married. Kids, I'm still debating. Would you prefer a child or an animal? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, right now I would say a cat. A cat? I might change my mind one day. Right on. I, I, uh... I read that you have done or you do psychedelics. Mm -hmm. Is that true? Mm -hmm. You do psychedelics? <laughs> you, are you still doing that? Mm -hmm. You do, Psychedelic, doesn't that trip you out? Um, yeah, well, that's kind of the point. Um, really depends on which psychedelic you are doing, but... A lot of them are used for healing purposes. Um, you know, there's even studies with psychedelics used in therapy. And yeah. um, the way I do them is usually in plant medicine ceremonies, which you're under the guide of somebody. And they sort of, you go on a journey and they sort of help you talk through things. And you just come out a new person. And so which one do you do? Which one are you taking? A lot of them. A lot of them. <laughs> and what made you decide to do psychedelics? Um, honestly, I had read 
My first experience with a psychedelic, which was MDMA, which is not always considered one, but it was, I had read about a study showing treatment of PTSD with MDMA, and I don't necessarily have PTSD, but I think at the time I was struggling a lot with anxiety and depression, and so uh, someone offered me it at a music festival, and it just completely changed my world. I, um, I quit a job that, like, was not treating me well, and I... Um, ultimately decided to go travel the world for three years, like all because of that trip. It just sort of <laughs> cut through like the barriers I had put in front of myself. Yeah. And when you came off of it, was reality still there? Did you have to deal with reality? Yeah, I mean, all those things I did were after. It wasn't like I made all these decisions oh, after on after you came off the psychedelic. Yeah. You came down. Amazing. And so what is life like for you without psychedelics? What, does it look, what is it for you, life? Without, you mean? Without being on this stuff, psychedelics. Um, I mean, life, usually the things that you learn on them, you then implement in your life. And that in of itself, like the insights never leave you. So you really... Oh, I see. You know, you don't need to do it all the time, but it really just has helped me live from my heart and um, and connected me to my intuition and just like made me feel more in touch with my spirituality. And you're not able to do all that without the support of psychedelics? I don't think I would have personally. I mean, they say that like one psychedelic session is like 10 years of therapy. There are ways to get there. There's meditation and some people do have different paths, but right. it is one of the fastest paths. And when the last time you did psychedelics? About a month ago. And are you still out there? No. <laughs> <laughs> are you back? Yeah, you come back within a few hours. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And how often uh, is it recommended that you do it? There's really no recommendation. I mean, probably not every day unless you're microdosing. Some people do that. But um, I try to keep it to like once a month just because I want to like be able to focus on work and like not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to focus while you're on it. I've actually, it really depends how much and what kind I have written on it, written some of my best pieces on psychedelics. So is psychedelic that little thin piece of paper that you put on your tongue? You're thinking of LSD. Uh, that's yes. one kind. <laughs> that's one kind? Mm -hmm. Have you ever done that? Yeah, I've done that. And, and what's that like for you? <laughs> that one's not my favorite. It makes me a little anxious, but I always end up thinking about death. <laughs> getting really deep and <laughs> contemplating things like death and the meaning of life. It, I'm not making it sound pleasant. Um. <laughs> <laughs> the woman that you put on your tongue, right? Mm -hmm. How often do you do that? How often? That I've only done like three, four times in my life. Uh, uh, when I was in my 20s, I did that once. I was at a party somewhere and everybody was doing it. My friends were doing it. And they're like, here, Jesse. Try to put this on your tongue. And I didn't know exactly what it was at the time. And so I put it on my tongue and I went way out there somewhere. And all of a sudden I see these colors and the music sound like jamming and it just felt different. Then I looked over in the yard, we was in a backyard party, and the rocks and things started moving. They had like fake frogs. <laughs> and the frog next started moving. I'm like, what the? Yeah. <laughs> Once my friend became a dinosaur when I was on the, she just gradually turned into a dinosaur. But I knew it was her. I wasn't freaked out or anything. <laughs> I was like, look, that frog is moving. They're like, Jess, it's not real. But it looked real. It's moving. Um, what other, I mean, what's the name? What, what type of other stuff? Is it like a pill form, the other type that you do? Um, there are many other types. Um, the one that's helped me the most is called iboga. It's actually from the roots of an African shrub and it's root bark, but they put it into a pill. You can take it as root bark, but it's disgusting. That is like the most intense one. Like the trips will last like two days and you'll be under supervision. But that actually helped me heal from um, chronic Lyme disease, which I was suffering from for like two years. 
And that, like, not only did that, but just sort of opened me up and sort of connected me to my spirituality and made me make a bunch of different decisions. But then there's ayahuasca, which is you drink. Then there's um, 5-MeO-DMT, which you, like, suck through a straw from a vial. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Are you, like a, are you a drug addict? Um, that's a misconception that, you know, this doing these things makes you an addict. I feel that since I have done them, I, my life has only gotten much better. And I think anything can be addictive, but I think it really depends how you're using it. And, um, yeah, I think that we should be careful not to label people drug addicts because they've used drugs as like a healing mechanism or as a way to sort of explore their consciousness. And so you, if I'm hearing you right, you take this stuff and you trip out for a while and then eventually it goes away, right? But while you're on it, you're learning about life, you're learning things, right? You're overcoming. Mm -hmm. And so when it's gone, you're able to live from the things that you learned while you were high. Mm -hmm. And then how long did that last before you have to go back and do it again? That's really, it varies. It, sometimes I just get signs or I just get a feeling. Um, I can't predict how much time will elapse before that happens. So you get a sign that says, you know what, I need some more psychedelics. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever partied on them? Psychedelics? Partied? You know, had a good time, go out to the club. Yeah, you know, I kind of got tired of that pretty quickly. I used to, when I was living in Germany, like they use MDMA in clubs and I realized that was not the best use of it because I just felt like there was much more to be gained actually from writing on it or from like talking on it and so I kind of outgrew that. How do you feel right now? Are you comfortable right now? Mm-hmm. You feel comfortable right now? Why do you ask? I mean, because you're not on them now, right? No. And when the last time you had them before today, when was the last time you did it? A month ago. And so it's lasting a whole month so far? Yeah, I would say that I am still benefiting from what I learned, but... Um, yeah, I, the last thing I did was 5-MeO-DMT, actually, and I felt like that trip just gave me a sense of overall confidence in the future, and... And since then, I've kind of been focused on other things, so haven't really felt the need to go back. And do you do this under the care of a, under the care of a doctor or a therapist or something, or can you just, at home, you decide, you know what, I need me some psychedelic? <laughs> yeah, that one I would not do by myself. Um, it really depends. But it's not always a doctor or a therapist. There are people specifically trained to work with these substances. Um, oh. some, some of them call themselves shamans, but that's kind of... You know, white people don't always want to call themselves shamans because that's kind of culturally appropriative. So some of them, they just call themselves like psychedelic practitioners. Um, wow. I didn't know that was going on in the world. Mm-hmm. That is so interesting. Your folks don't know that you're doing this, right? They know a little bit. <laughs> they'll, I mean, maybe they'll find out from this. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think they would say if they found out that you were on psychedelic? <laughs> You're non-binary. <laughs> You're on psychedelics. What would they say once they see this program and they hear you say that? They'd say, "Oh, what happened to my child?" <laughs> They'd say, "Be careful. <laughs> like you're an adult. It's your life. Just you know, be careful." Amazing. Are you a Christian? No. You believe in God? I think so. Um, I kind of believe God is like all of our collective consciousness. Did you grow up as a Christian? I was raised Jewish, actually. Are you Jewish? Mm-hmm. You a Jew? You don't look like a Jew. I thought you were just a typical white girl. <laughs> <laughs> Half Jewish. So does the Jewish community know you use psychedelics? <laughs> The Jewish community. I don't think there's like an entity like called the Jewish community that's overseeing me. Well, you better make sure they don't find out. They're going to let Moses know. <laughs> <laughs> and Moses would not be happy. <laughs> I bet they used psychedelics back then. Probably. I wouldn't be surprised. So let me ask. Um, that's interesting. <laughs>
Um, were there ever, oh, oh this is what I want. You were depressed and all that stuff at one time, right? Mm-hmm. Suicidal? Uh, not so much suicidal. But what, what, what was your condition at one time? I had an eating disorder. Um, I was severely workaholic, just socially anxious, anxious in general, and a bit depressed. I'm depressed. And what brought all that on? That is something, you know, that's taken years of exploration to figure out. I think it had to do with something to do with having parents that were critical. I think yeah. having people in school not be nice to me. Um, and in general, I think just societal ideals around women causing a lot of body image issues and objectification. Um, yeah, I think we, like women live in a culture of objectification, even if they're not directly sexually assaulted. It can cause, I think for a lot of us, just discomfort with our bodies. Oh, I see. Why do women objectify men? Why do women what? You say objectification or something? What does that mean? I'm not sure what you're referring to. You said women bodies are objectified. Oh, objectified. Objectified. What is that? Um, you know, it's when women, when sexual violence toward women is encouraged and normalized, like a lot of sort of college campus um, fraternity cultures might do, or like in advertising when women's body parts are used to sell products. Or, um, you know, it happens in all different ways. Some oh, I see. Women do that to men, too? I don't think that is routinely done to men in the same way. Right. Not to the same extent, I don't think. Should, um, a man, should a man recognize a woman's body like, wow? Yeah, I, think, I don't think that necessarily qualifies as objectification. I think it really depends how it's done. Like a random guy on a street, like you know, yelling sort of graphic things to you, that would be, or like sending you a dick pic online, like that would be. But sending you a what? Dick pic. A dick pic? You haven't heard that term? No. Like, guys, What's they do this. Pic? They send you pictures of their dick just on social media, just randomly. Just randomly? Yeah. <laughs> what the? <laughs> Are you serious? It Why do they do me. that? I really don't know. Um, maybe they're seeking validation. Maybe they're trying to make you uncomfortable. Um, maybe there's a sense of entitlement, like they want to feel like, you know, they have the right to do that. And do women send their VJs too? I have never heard of that happening. <laughs> a woman never does that. It probably has happened. I j it's just not happening often enough that anyone hears so about it. So, do you receive a lot of dick pics? <laughs> Yeah, once in a while, not like every day, but... And when you receive them, do you look at them or you don't open them? <laughs> well... Do you go like... Well, I have Ooh. to look to know what it is. Oh, this is so disgusting. <laughs> I usually report them so that oh, oh, whatever do? platform they're using knows they're being inappropriate. I don't understand the purpose of that. Do they feel embarrassed doing that? Do they feel um, embarrassed doing that? That's what one would think. I think, I don't know, they just think their dick's the greatest thing in the world, or they want to think that. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard it all. That's amazing. So I, I read that you go to uh, sex parties. Mm -hmm. You're not that shy. <laughs> <laughs> I am, I actually use sex parties to work through shyness. I am pretty shy at sex parties and pretty awkward, but I learned to sort of, and I, I don't usually have sex at them. I just learned to like approach people and talk to people and like what a lot you, of them. What do you approach them and talk about at a sex party? Oh, I wish I can get with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, a lot of it. So there's usually like a play area at parties where people can have sex, but there's also an area where people just talk, and that's a lot of the party. And so, and the, one of them I go to has a jacuzzi, and you just kind of hang out there and make friends. And so there is sex, but it's not just that. So 
Is everybody walking around new at sex parties? Not always. In the jacuzzi, yes. But They're new in the... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, is this it's... before or after the dick pic? <laughs> <laughs> there are no cameras allowed. No cameras? <laughs> <laughs> and so they're, they don't walk around new. They just get in the jacuzzi, jacuzzi naked. By the end of the night, most people are nude everywhere or like in underwear. Do you walk around nude? I will usually. It depends on the party. I have a pair of lingerie that I wear for most parties. Have you ever walked around nude? Mm-hmm. Ooh. <laughs> Are you on the psychedelic while you're doing it? Not typically. I once microdosed mushrooms before a sex party, but... What was that like? Microdosing does not have a big effect. I think it just made me a bit more open and a bit more, like... Emotional, I think, or like emotionally open. Really? And so have you ever had a sex at a sex party? Once. And everybody was looking? It was at the end of the night, almost no one was there, so I don't think anyone was looking. Maybe a person <laughs> or two. That's amazing. <laughs> Did you feel shy at all? Did I? Uh, yeah, a little bit, but like, I don't know. Once you get into it, you tune it out. You're like, oh, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> So listen, you, you have attended nine sex parties. Last summer. I think now I've attended more. So in one summer, you, last summer you attended nine sex parties. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. <laughs> and you think now you have attended more. Since last summer, yeah. What do you like about them the most? I like just the people you meet there. They tend to be very free, open people. And it's like once you've talked about sex, once you're open about that, you can really talk about anything. And, yeah, I've met some good friends at sex parties. Really? And so the guys and the gals are walking around naked for the most part, right? It really depends on the party. I would say for the most part they're not. Um, depends what area you're in. As in the play area, like the sex area, yes. But. So if you if you stand by the pool, you saw a guy walking down toward you naked. You do this, or you do that. Depends on the guy. <laughs> really? What what do you what type of guy that would make you look straight at him? <laughs> Attractive, hard to define. Uh, does he have to have a great body, or does he have a fat body? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm pretty picky. I would say like. Pretty great body. <laughs> yeah, you have a great body. Ooh. <laughs> and are there fat men and women there too? Yeah, all body types. All body types. So that if a fat guy walking down and an amazing guy walking down and a skinny guy walking, <laughs> which one would you take? Well, you called one of them amazing, so I feel like that's pretty obvious. Uh, the amazing one, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't that called, what is that called? You said that men do that to women. Objectify? That's just called having preferences. I mean, you can't not, like, be more attracted to pe some people than others. So when men are looking at certain body type on women, are they just, uh, uh, they are attracted to certain body types and it's not objectifying or anything like that? No, I wouldn't say so. What, what's the difference? What's the difference? I would say objectification is when you like don't acknowledge that a woman has a heart or soul and you just treat her as if she's just good for her body. Oh, I see. Have you ever treated men in that way? <laughs> uh -huh. um, you know, there was one guy who thought I did. He wrote me a poem about it. Wait, maybe I shouldn't be mentioning this. <laughs> Don't say his whole name. Don't say his full name. And so he said, what did he say? That he was just a sex boy to me. <laughs> <laughs> and you say, yeah, you're right. <laughs> no, I actually said, no, you're not. But, you know, he got that impression, so maybe I was not great about I don't know. Sometimes you have needs and you just want to fulfill them, and that's all you're really interested in. <laughs> Amazing. Did you tell him that? You know, I just had a need. <laughs> Did you tell him that? No. Why not? I didn't want to make him feel worse. What do you mean? Well, I didn't want to make him feel like an object to fulfill my needs. 
You said that these parties allow you to push your insecurity away for good? Um, yeah, I mean, not like for good. That's always, I feel like that's something that never totally goes away. But definitely it helped me face rejection and not take it personally because like, I just went through several experiences where I did get rejected and I realized that it wasn't really because of me. I think a lot of it was because I was being awkward about it. And once I got bolder and braver and just like, there was one night I came up to people and was just like, can I kiss you? And everyone said yes. And then like, I just got more comfortable approaching people because of instances like that. So at the end of the night, you're like, you know what? I'm not insecure anymore. That was pretty good. It wasn't like I'm not insecure at all, but it was like I'm less insecure. Amazing. <laughs> I hope your parents don't watch the show. I hope my parents wouldn't judge me for going to sex parties. Oh, really? How do you feel about, what's your relationship with you and your mother? How do you feel about her? <laughs> uh, my mother's very nice. You know, we... What did she do to irritate you while you were growing up? She used to get on your nerve by doing what? Wait, why are you asking me this? No, I just wondered because you said they, you hope they don't judge you for this. How did she feel? How did you feel about her while growing up? Yeah, you know, I guess I felt like she didn't totally get me. I mean, but it's, I'm kind of a difficult person to get, so it's and, understandable. In what way are you difficult? I do psychedelics, I go to sex parties. Uh, <laughs> you do what now? What was the first thing? Do psychedelics. Um, I call myself non-binary. You know, all the things that you, you may find difficult to get. I think they, even if they don't know those specific things, just I, they probably saw my personality and didn't totally get it. Are you close? Do you have brothers or sisters? I have an older brother. And does he know about this, all this? He knows a little more. And what does he think about that? He just thinks it's funny. He teases me about it. How many people have you had sex with at one time at a sex bar <laughs> or, or anywhere? I've had a couple threesomes. Um, I had two threesomes in one night one time. Wow. <laughs> you seem so shy. <laughs> it's the shy ones you have to watch out for. That's for sure. <laughs> so I read that you are also a relationship coach. Mm -hmm. What does that mean? It means I talk to people about whatever they're struggling with in sex or relationships and give them advice. Can you give me an example or something that you help someone to overcome or whatever? Sure. I'm currently working with someone who's... Um, wanting to explore polyamory for the first time and I'm helping him learn about that world and sort of just get up the courage to explore it when you know he feels like people will judge him and giving some basic advice like setting up dating profiles and how to talk to people about like relationship structures. Right. Um, if a guy came into your office and said, you know what, I want to have sex but I just don't know how. I'm shy. I don't know how to do it. Would you say, come on, let me show you? No. <laughs> <laughs> or how about if he asked, would you show me? Would you show him? No, that would just violate, like, my own boundaries. Oh, okay. Have you had that happen to you yet? <laughs> no, thankfully. I had one guy who, like, was insisting on doing this session by, on Skype, which I felt was a little weird, and I was like, I only do this over the phone, and then he just didn't respond, so... Oh. Yeah, I think that might have gone in that direction. Yeah, that was too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, in your personal opinion, what is the key to a successful relationship? Living from your heart. Um, I think being non-judgmental of your partner, understanding that they're going, they're going through their own stuff, and if they're not treating you the way you would like, you know, you should speak up and you should also try to understand what they may be dealing with that's causing that and show compassion. Um, otherwise it can just turn into a fight and people feel like they're attacking each other. So I would say just like empathy and standing up for yourself, but also 
not being judgmental. In relationship, should the man and the woman be honest with one another? Mm-hmm. They should be honest. And what should the man do when the woman get mad about him being honest with her? Because hmm. I remember when I used to date a lot, the woman would buy a new dress or get her hair done. And she's like, oh, Jesse, what do you think about my new dress or my hair? Do? I'm like, oh, that's awful. <laughs> and she'll get mad. Hmm. What should a guy do in that case? I would say first to her not to ask those questions if you don't want the answer. Yes. Um, you know, I've done that myself, like asked a question when there was really only one right answer, so then why did I ask? Um, I feel like in your case, there, there was probably a nicer way to say that than it looks awful, but... <laughs> you know. What's a nice way to say it? Um, I feel like I liked your hair better the other way. Um, no, I'm like, you know, no, that's a little awful. You need to go back to the old way. How about that? <laughs> well, then you're telling her what to do, so that's kind of not the best. Maybe just I liked it better the old way. Do you think um, you would like to be married one day with kids? Ah, uh, you asked me that. I think marriage, yes, kids still undecided. Oh, yeah, that's why you said cat. If you were married, would you obey your husband? Obey? That sounds almost like I'm a dog. Like, what do you mean? Like, would you, your husband would be the head of you. Would you follow mm. your husband? No. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Well, what's the well, purpose of I being think, married if you're not going to follow him? Why not? I think we should be equals. I think there's a time for me to follow him, a time for him to follow me, and it's really about listening to each other both and, you know, never making each other wrong, always seeing how we're both right. And, you know, if one person wants to take the lead and in a nice way, like, I want to plan a vacation for you, that's fine, but, like, telling me what to do, then who would even want a woman who wants to be told what to do? Don't you want someone who wants, who has her own opinions and beliefs and desires? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> um, isn't it the responsibility of the man to lead his wife? Where are you getting that idea? Um, it comes from God. I don't know. I mean, I, that's not what I get from God. What do you get? That it's not about gender. It's just about loving each other and listening to each other and helping both people's needs get met and listening to both people when you're making decisions. Uh, I've noticed that when women have sex, they become very emotional. Should women wait until marriage to have sex because they become clingy and emotional and they want attention. Is it better <laughs> for them to wait until marriage before they have sex? I don't think that's necessarily true. I think that can happen, but I think it can happen to men too. I, yeah, think, I think it does happen to men too sometimes. Yeah, I think waiting till marriage, you know, that's the right decision for some people, but for some, like, they just feel they would be missing out on a lot if they did that. And, you know, a lot of relationships are, people have a lot of relationships before marriage that they also want to experience sexual intimacy in, so I would never try to limit that. Do you agree that feminism have tried to turn women into men? No. Um, I, I do hear some women feel they've gotten that impression. I've talked to a woman the other day who's like, I'm a housewife, I'm a mom, this is my life, and like, I don't feel like feminism is helping me. And yeah. in that way, I think feminism maybe could be more inclusive and just accept women who want to make that decision. But I think that is how most feminists are. I don't think most... And I also think um, turning women into men, what even does it mean to be a man or a woman? Like. I think we should allow women to act, quote-unquote, like men, if that's just how they are, and we should also allow them to act according to the stereotype of women, if that's how they are. When it comes to relationships, do you think men want women to make the first move, or should the man make the first move? In my experience, men want women to. Like, I, every relationship I've had, I have made the first move. Really? Like, nothing would have happened otherwise. Because men, could, they can be kind of 
like scared, I think, <laughs> of like getting into relationships. And sometimes you just got to be the brave one. Would you prefer the man make the first move? I would prefer, I can't make a generalization. It's nice when men show interest, but I think, I think sometimes, yeah, but it's also really nice for me to be the one to like declare my love to someone and to, it feels empowering to be the one to ask someone out. And so I, I would say a combination. Amazing. How about when they're about to have sex? Who should make the first move, the man or the woman? I would argue the woman because I think um, we live in a society where women often feel like they have to have sex to please men. And I think sometimes a man making the first move, a woman might feel pressure to go along with it without really checking in with herself. And I think, you know, it doesn't have to be this way, but I think there's something really empowering about a woman actually tuning into her body and being like, do I want this? And being the one to make that decision. So let's say a man should make the first move. He's like, hey, you want to go to bed? And she was like, wait a minute. Let me check with my body. Yes. Right? That's, I mean, yeah, that, I think that's a good idea. That's so crazy. <laughs> I don't have time for that. But let me ask, should a woman, when a man is having sex with a woman, should she be directing him doing the sex act itself? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> should he be having a conversation like that? Yeah. That's insane. <laughs> what if, Have you ever done what that? If, oh, yeah, all the time. What do you say? Say, <laughs> so, you know, like, could you move like this? Or, like, could... <laughs> like, <laughs> that's going to get really graphic. <laughs> so I'll just be like, could you do this? Or, um, or like, I want to do this. You know, if, if he's already doing it right, no. But if he's not, I'm not going to just put up with that. And do you tell him when he, it should be over with? You know, like, it's been <laughs> two minutes. I think you need to wind up. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, not unless, unless I was getting, like, sore or something. But <laughs> that doesn't usually happen. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> that is mind-blowing. So let me ask, um, men try to get love from women. Do women have love to give? That's deep. A lot of us have closed our hearts. I think a lot of us, I think a lot of people who complain about how they can't find love have actually closed their own hearts and actually don't have love to give and need to learn to love themselves and need to learn to love others. Um, do women, I, again, I can't really make a generalization about women, but I think a lot of us um, have less love to give than we realize. Right. Do men have love to give to women? I think it's the same thing. I think we all want to love and want to be loved, but I think a lot of us have barriers to that from past experiences and are anxious about giving love, and I think we all have to work toward just like opening our hearts and giving love and not worrying about how it'll be received. And what is love? Love is, um, it's like when you, when you understand how connected our souls are, when you really feel that, that's love. Um, amazing. So it's time for me to heat up this interview. I got to put you on the hot seat. I got to put my guests on the hot seat. So what I need is for you to answer these questions quickly. All right? Okay. Okay. The Hot Seat. Is the Washington Post fake news? No. How about the New York Times? No. Is it morally right to give children hormones for a, for a sex change? Depends. Do you support the Second Amendment? Yes. Is it... Worse to be fat shame, to fat shame someone, or to slut shame them? 
Fat shame? The, you're making me choose? That's both bad. <laughs> <laughs> is it true that women who have sex with more than one man, one man is a slut? No. Is it true that men who have sex with more than one woman is a slut maker? No. <laughs> if heaven exists, will you go there when you die? Yes. Uh, is it okay for women to sexually objectify men? No. Is it okay for men to objectify women? No. Is it racist for white Americans to be proud of their heritage? Yes. You say yes? <laughs> Did you say yes? Amazing. Are you on team Johnny Depp? Are you on, are you on team with Johnny Depp or on team with Amber Heard? Amber. Amber? That's amazing. And by the way, folks, they have a divorce battle going on right now, raging right now. Did you know that? Have not been following. Yeah, I have. Who is your personal hero, living or dead? Uh, Jacques Derrida. Who is that? He's a philosopher. Oh, okay. If you never had sex again in your life, would you still be happy? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you have sex every day? No. How often? Depends if I'm in a relationship. Lately, not at all. Not at all? How does that feel? I deal with it. I focus on other things. Oh, okay. Are you going to be going to some sex bar to make, to make up? Once they reopen. <laughs> well, thank you for sitting in a uh, hot seat for me. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, did you have fun? Mm-hmm. You did? All right. Is there anything you'd like to promote? YouTube channel, your writings, how people can read your writings? Yeah, they could follow me on Twitter, um, Susanna, S-U-Z-A-N-N-A-H, Weiss, W-E-I-S-S. Susanna, I had an amazing time talking to you. I learned Thanks. a lot. So thank you so much for coming, all right? Yeah, thank you. I do appreciate it. Thank you folks for tuning in. I absolutely appreciate it. Don't forget to follow, like, tweet, ring the bell for notification and we and check out our merch store as well. Thank you. We are back. It's about time. Thank you folks. Thank you, sister. Thank you. That was fun. Next time on the Fallen State. What is an activist scholar? I'm not only a PhD candidate, but I'm also a full-time community organizer. A lot of teachers tell me they can't teach the black kids because the black kids are so out of order, they won't respect the adults. Oftentimes there's an underlying assumption that people walk into in those classrooms that these kids can't learn, so I'm gonna treat them as that. It's because of institutional and systemic racism. You gave a TED talk about today's youth. What is the solution to the pain that black youth are feeling today? The issue is, again, we have to address the structures that facilitate that pain. Is it possible that it could be the urinary of a father? So it doesn't necessarily matter if you have two parents in a household or not because we live in a white supremacist country that is the United States of America. for watching the fallen state we need your continued support donate to my nonprofit here subscribe and like the videos here and tell everybody and their mama about the show <laughs>